Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. I think it's so neat that you're able to join us through this medium, and it means so much to me personally to hear that this has been used to encourage so many of you. It has always been the posture of Genesis to tangibly extend the love of Jesus in various ways, both locally and across the world. We support programs that assist families in need, contribute to ongoing works and building projects in Mexico. We've built a latrine and cafeteria for St. Andre's School in Haiti, as well as are advancing a food program there that we hope will help feed the children for years to come. The money collected for all these endeavors could have paid for a facility of our own many times over, but instead, we've intentionally chosen to be a mobile community since we began. We now have before us an opportunity to invest in a building of our own. We're not doing this, however, without considering the works we're committed to or even the works we feel compelled to keep doing in the future. But we're asking, if you've benefited from this podcast or from anything that Genesis has done, would you consider partnering with us by donating to this work directly at www.thegenesisstory.com and click on the Building Fund tab. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Together, let's prepare for an amazing tomorrow. Thanks, and God bless. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. As we're continuing kind of our learning to lead, I wanted to look at something. We're kind of backtracking a little bit on some of the things that we've talked about where Philip uh, met the Ethiopian eunuch. We talked about that, how he is led and moved by the Spirit of God. And we're kind of going back to where this his name shows up in Acts chapter 6. In verse 1, we read, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. First thing I guess stands out is as things were developing and growing, a complaint developed as well. Complaints are a part of community. They always have been and they always will be. The Hellenists are the Grecian uh, speaking Jews, the Jews who speak Greek. And so there is a lot of racial tension with the Jews who spoke Hebrew and the Jews who spoke Greek. Uh, they considered them less than because they kind of didn't have the same language, their original language. And so there's division that's coming up because of that tension that is there that they start complaining because they felt that their uh, widows were being neglected, which also tells us that the widows overall were being taken care of. It's important to understand in the society and the time that this was being written, that was very much a necessity. Um, if, if you didn't have family taking care of you, there was no welfare state, there was no government aid, um, you were really left out in the dust. And then if you came to faith in Christ, there was a big alienation from your family. And so a lot of the Jews, when they would find out someone became a follower of Christ, they would disown them. 
And so now you've got people who are coming to faith, but who are being disowned from the only means of support that they had, and what are they supposed to do? And so the church had stepped in and said, okay, we've got to take some kind of responsibility for these people, and so we're going to help make ends meet. But now you've got a lot of people, you've got a lot of ends that need to be met, and some start complaining. And again, that's a different scenario than maybe what we have here in some ways, but I think it does show that the, the people who were a part of the community were so involved that they had this dynamic of a relationship. Now, I don't think that the church is meant to be a, you know, a social uh, support in every area, not social support, but a financial support. Um, I think we are supposed to be a social support, but I don't think the church is meant to have that kind of financial responsibility for everyone that's in society. But when there are needs that come up, we aren't to ignore them. We're to step in and meet them. They had a process of doing that. And we're going to see kind of what that process is, more or less. And I think that's important. I think what we did with Dave and Terry, helping them financially, is the kinds of things that we can do. We've helped a number of families that aren't as known, uh, who have been hurting financially, and people have given support from our community as it's been made aware. And so I think we are still doing these kinds of things. And if things were to get worse in society, um, who knows how we would have to adapt to make sure that the members of our community aren't starving, right? If someone was starving who came to Genesis, we couldn't just ignore that. We'd have to find some means of help. And we've done so many things. We've helped people get financial aid. We've helped people with government assistance because these are things that are in place, right? So it's not like, well, Genesis now has to pay the bills. Well, if there's other ways we can help, we've got to help in those areas. So anyway, this is kind of setting the, the foundation, but the first thing we see is there's problems. There's problems, there's complaints, and now what do we do? And so what comes up? The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. We don't know how many that is, but it's quite a few disciples there and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nacanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These, set, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. A few things that we see that I think will be helpful to us in kind of establishing this and how leaders move a vision forward. You know, when you say, you know, what vision do we have? 
how do we come about a vision? How does the church get a vision? You know, a, a lot of times there's this idea that, you know, the pastor, he goes away into a remote place by himself and, and he just waits and hears from God and God imparts to him this just flaming white hot vision of what God wants to do in the church. And he comes back and he tells it to the congregation and they are all in amaze and his face is aglow like Moses. And they say, yes, this is the word of God. That's never happened to me. That's never happened to anyone I've known. Vision tends to work a lot differently. It, it tends to be more of a labor. It tends to be more of a, a feeling like Braille. What's God doing? What's going on? We have insights and desires that we've received from God and that we've gained from Scripture. But the way vision is actually formed is usually formed more in a community than it is individually. When we're talking about a leader, a leader is going to have a vision that is inclusive of the people that are there. And what we see here in chapter 6 is the 12 disciples are given this complaint. There's a problem. They're given the complaint. And what they do is they say, you fix it. Fix it in this way. Get seven people filled with the Spirit and appoint them. You pick the seven people. I think it's amazing that they told them to take responsibility for the problem that was rising up amongst them. What does this do? What this does is it includes other people in that vision. See, the first thing they did is they saw the problem that was there, right? The, the Hellenistic Jews, Hellenists are being neglected or feel they're being neglected. So that's the problem. So there's neglect, but more than that, there's actual racial division that's part of the problem. And so they delegate the responsibility and authority to the people. It's interesting that the names that they mention are Grecian. In other words, they have the Greek leaning. And so the people they pick for this are people who they would see as being more tolerant to their cause, more inclined to listen. And we find that's true today still. If there's racial tension, you know, if the black community feels that the police department is being abusive with their authority, well, when they bring in someone, and if it's a black chief of police, and they start getting more, even our Chief Johnson, when we were talking about racial tension, he's trying to bring people in so that the community sees that the police department looks like the community. Why? Because it eases some of the tension just being able to see some of these things. That was their decision. They picked these people. And it really is wise. It shows that they were considerate of the complaint. And they're trying to bring in this unity that's there. But more than that, what I think is important is to recognize that the disciples, the 12, were willing to relinquish 
authority. They were willing to give it over. Not only that, they were willing to give the vision of how things move forward to other people. Because now it became theirs, and it wasn't just the 12. We have the word of God, and we know what's going to happen. When it talks about waiting on tables, it's not like a waiter. This is dealing with money. The tables would be the collection and how the money was brought in. These seven would then manage the money and how it was going to be distributed for the needs that were there of the church that was growing. And so the people come to their gathering on a Sunday in the different homes. They have a collection. They're giving money maybe throughout the week. That money's coming in. It's being collected. How is that money being utilized? These seven are now being overseeing this financial need that's there. Not the 12. Now, I don't think chapter 6 is necessarily the form that every church should always use in every situation for all time. But I do think there's wisdom here that we can glean from. In other words, I don't think that this was meant to be a map of how churches run, but I think there's insights here that are important to understand that were being done and why the church grew and why things developed. And I think it's important to recognize. In other words, it doesn't mean you get seven people. It doesn't mean you get you know just these kinds of things. What's happening here, though, is we're seeing the distribution of authority and the distribution of vision. Because now they are a part of those things. One of the things that I try to do, and I definitely can do it better, but we want to share the vision of Genesis with everybody. You know, the leadership, we bring the family that's there. In other words, it's not just you know, Gil, and it's not just Val, it's Gil and Mary, and it's Val and Beth. It's not just, you know, Lola, it's Lola and Bill. Why? Because I want, I want the whole family, I want to give everyone this voice and this vision. I, I want people to, to feel what's going on so that we can own it ourselves, so that we are making decisions. There was a, a time when we were going to um, stop uh, renting uh, this place. We're going to not renew our lease here so that we could save money. I just thought, well, we'll do that so we can save money so we can get another building. And I threw that out there and I said, what do you guys think? And then a few people said, eh, I don't think that's a good idea. And everyone kind of chimed in and said, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. So we kept it. And here we are tonight. <laughs> because we kept it. Because someone said, I don't think it's a good idea. They voiced their opinion. So the reason we're here tonight this is part of someone's voice. It's not mine. It was another voice besides mine. And I think that's important that they're given a voice and they're using that voice and now that voice is actually spreading in the things that are being done and the decisions that are being made. And I think that is so important. Money and how money is utilized is very important. I don't want to be the only one making that decision. So much of what we have in our society, especially, is a mentality of, you know, the pastor, uh, the church is just there for money. And so 
I don't want to be the one responsible for all the money. That's why Gil's taking care of those things. Okay? He's... And that's why we still have, we have to have it this year still, but our year in review where we talk about all our financial things, we want to help alleviate that kind of mentality that is in our society today. Okay? I don't know if it was there in this society at that time, but it definitely is in our society today. There's been so much misuse of power that people look at church and pastors and they see them as being authoritarian over other people, abusive financially, and we want to try and eliminate those kinds of roadblocks people understanding and so giving this power to others you guys are in charge of the money you distribute these things you pick out seven people that'll delegate this responsibility and authority and they did they did they came up with the solution they appointed the people they made the decisions and it was a great solution and then we go on and we see Stephen and Philip both used in mighty ways. Stephen's the first martyr. Philip brings the gospel essentially to Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch. These seven men who started off here had this participation. This is ours. This isn't just the twelves. This is our gospel as well. And I think it's important to recognize that they're part of that vision. They're not excluded from them. And it always sounded to me, and maybe it's because for years I thought that it's not good for us to wait on tables, and I always thought of it was like a waiter, you know, they're just cleaning up bread and stuff, you know. We're too good for that. And I was like, gosh, man, that's kind of high and mighty attitude, right? But it's important to understand what they're doing here. Um, they said it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, we're proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming this news about Jesus. We don't want to be tied up with these money matters. That, that's not beneficial. And so you guys devote these things and we'll devote ourselves. You devote yourself to this. We'll devote ourselves to prayer and ministering the gospel to the people. That's what we can do. This is what you can do. I think it's important to find people who are good in those areas and allow them to be good in those areas. If you're a leader and you're not good in an area, find someone who is good in an area. Okay, I'm not a good organizational person. Adaptability is my number one in my strength finders. Why? I don't know. It's just because that's how I live. right? And so I don't plan usually ahead of time. Some of you are planners. Some of you need months if you're going to plan something. Me, it's like, what's happening tomorrow? We can do it, right? Might not be as good. It might, you know, be a little stressful, but I'm not good in some of those things, so I don't want to be responsible for all those things. And so it's good to have people who are more gifted in those areas that are maybe more structured and doing things than it is. You know, find out what things you're good at, help others to compliment you in the things you're not good at. You know, I mean, I'm still trying to find out what I'm good at and then we'll let you know when it happens. 
you know. We always develop and grow as things go on. I mean, I, I'm a communicator, and so I want to be able to stick to those things. You know, I, I have to study. I study throughout the week. I study when I'm driving to lessons. I listen to audio books. Even when I'm in the shower, I'm like listening. I know like girls will ask, what's he doing in there? He's listening to a book, you know? It's like, what's going on? It's like, those are my times. That's what I do. I give myself to those kinds of things, all right? Um, because I want to try and communicate well the things that I feel are important, the things that I feel are important for us as a community. And so I'm trying to share that vision, but I need others to help me. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have an air-conditioned place when you guys came in here, right? I would have got here five, I did get here five to seven. It would have been 94 degrees in here, right? Wi-Fi thermostat. Hey, there we go. Or just Wi-Fi. Uh, but yeah, those are the kinds of things where we need other people to do that. You know, you have water and coffee because Eileen got here and did that, right? You know, thank you. <laughs> you know, we have the people who set up. Gil, who does the sound. We have all these things that take place. Why? Because there's a lot of need. The needs are different than what we see here, but there are a lot of needs. And we have to have other people who take care of those needs. And so a lot of times when a person is leading, they micromanage things, right? You guys have been with people who have micromanaged. You ask someone, do you need help, you know, setting up the room? Like, oh, yes, I need help. What do you want me to do? Oh, set the tables up. And then you start setting the tables up. Oh, wait, 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 hey, not like that. I want them set like this, like this, and like this. Okay, all right, I got it. Wait, 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 no, I don't want those there. And pretty soon it's like, okay, what can I do? You might as well just do it because you're just standing over me, helping me to do it. It's great to have a vision and it's great to help people do things. And if you can explain it well, that's great. But sometimes people micromanage things where everything happens. Sometimes Randy will sing a song and I'm like, I'm not a real fan of that song. It's like, I just, that's not my favorite song. And I'm thinking, well, do I go tell Randy I don't like that song? No, because what if that's just me? You know, and then I, I have to stop and I go, oh, wow, people are singing that song. Darn it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they like this song too. Okay, then let's sing that song. Right? Because this isn't about me. You know, Randy's doing a great job. Why would I restrict him? Now, if there's something I thought was real terrible for some reason, I could have a talk with him about those things, but I don't want to start telling him what songs to sing. I don't want to start telling him how to do... And I, I just had that in my mind from the beginning. When I left the role of a worship leader to being one of a pastor, I wasn't going to micromanage the music because I knew I could do that. Right? And so I just have to let that go and let them excel in those things. I can encourage, I can give suggestions, I can definitely give input, but I'm not going to control. Because otherwise, that's my vision and you're just filling it out. You see, I want, I want everyone to have a vision for what they want to do. You know, the drawing on truth. 
That came from that. That wasn't my vision. Ladies love that. I think that's a great idea. I mean, I'd love to do something like that, you know? But that was her vision. If I were to say, Beth, you know, here's what we need to do. You know, we have to go through another Beth Moore series because there's a new one. You know, it's like, it'd probably be good, but it's like, no, let's allow these things to develop. And so when you take on a position of leadership, look for how you can give it away. Look for how you can entrust people with important things, not just menial things. Give people the opportunity to take the vision further. Otherwise, it only goes as far as you, and it doesn't go any further. Another thing that has to happen, if you are going to entrust this vision to people, and you're going to put, for lack of a better word, or maybe this actually is a good word, a burden on people, you're going to put an obligation on them to be here early, to set things up, to take away from their time to do something. If you're going to put some kind of obligation on people, then they better see that you own that same burden. In other words, you have to be willing to do as much as you're asking other people to do. And we do see that in Acts chapter 21. If you want to turn there, starting at verse 7. With Paul, Paul is about to, to go on to a trip. When he, we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at, come on, how do you say a word that starts with P-T-O-L? Ptolemaeus. And what is it? Ptolemaeus. Ptolemaeus, there you go. Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed, hmm, one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. We talked about them Sunday. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Kind of a strange picture. You kind of picture him like a, you know, when you do go to a rodeo or something, he's all hogtied there with a belt. Takes Paul like, Hey, what are you doing with my belt? What's going on here? Just kind of strange thing. But not for them, I guess. When he, we heard this, we and all the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. In other words, Paul, there's danger for you in Jerusalem. Don't go there. He's giving you a warning. Then, verse 13, Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. There's something contagious when you see a person that's devoted. Devotion in one way or another. It's very, 
inspiring. You know, in the 60s, when the blacks were marching from Selma to Montgomery to vote, and they came across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the police were there with their batons, with dogs, and the media was there. And the blacks who were marching thought, well, everyone's watching, surely they're not going to do this. They're not going to carry through with their threats, but they did. It's one of the most shameful times in American history. And it was put on the news, they were beating them, they were letting dogs go and attacking, and they stopped them from crossing the bridge. A week later, or so, just weeks later, within it was less than a month, Martin Luther King said, we're going to do this again. And everyone said, you can't do this. They're there and they're going to kill you, especially because it's you marching. But he did. He marched again. And at this time, the president who was watching this called and he put a stop to the violence that was taking place. But what people saw, and I think what made Martin Luther King such a figure wasn't just that he was a great orator and could speak so well. It was that he owned what he was speaking. He, he put blood in it. And indeed, he gave his life for this. And when you see something like that, it does something to those who are following you. They gain courage. They gain uh, vision for what you're doing. They start to own what's happening themselves because you own it fully. And what we see in Paul is the same thing. We've seen it in, in many people since that time. It's when you really own something, you will give your life if you're going to lead, you have to lead and own it. You have to be passionate. You have to count the cost. You have to, to put skin in the game. You have to be willing to, to go there. And, and so everywhere that you lead, not just the pastor, wherever you're in a position of lead, are you owning it? Are you putting skin in the game? Are you, you counting the cost? Are you putting the time in? Or are you just doing time? Are, are you investing in this or are you just filling a seat and a position? Because it's easy to change and it's a transition where things shift and pretty soon what you were doing as a calling and you were passionate about, and man, I really want to see this happen. Pretty soon you've done it for a while. I mean, we've been here for eight years, going on nine years, and it's like, okay, is this it? Is this what we're doing? Okay, I, this is all I want to invest in it. I, I don't really want to do any more than this. And if I get comfortable or if I'm in it for a paycheck or if I just want to do as little as possible to get keep things going, 
people will smell it. People will start to mimic it. But if I am stepping into and leaning into things more, then people will do the same. And I think it's something, at least for me, it seems to have spurts. I feel like, man, yes, I'm, I'm going, I'm going. And then I catch myself and said, Sam, are, are you really putting all that you can into this? And I feel like God checks me and I have to kind of own these things and, and have to reevaluate where I'm at and what I'm doing and what I want to do. What, what is this about? How much more should I give? How should I give more? What should I give more to? And I have to kind of readjust and count that cost again. And I think as leaders, that's an important part of leadership is reevaluating your heart to see if you are in that. You see, most people feel called, especially at the beginning. But then there's the intersection that after time we cross and we say, okay, I'm just going through the motions. It's a good thing we're doing but I've become negligent. I've become, you know, a little casual in how I'm approaching these things and I don't have the fire. And so as leaders, if you want people to continue to be like Stephen, see, the reason Stephen was martyred is because, well, his leaders, the 12, they were willing to be martyred and the reason they were willing to be martyred is because their Messiah was willing to be put to death. You see, the reason we still see Christians being willing to go to death is because that's the example they have in Christ. This is what he's willing to do for me. I'm willing to go there too. And so it's important that we're willing to kind of go that distance and step into that as well if we are going to lead because it is by example. And what we see happening in Acts, both chapter 6 and later on in chapter 21, is the example that's being set. They're being released, they're being entrusted, and they're dedicated. And I think those are important parts of leadership that we need to, again, recognize are always there. Any questions or thoughts? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this time, for the discussion, and I pray, Lord, again, it's helpful. And help me, Lord, to remember, Lord, the, the things that really stir my heart and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Lord, may I be fully committed. May I be an example. Um, before I ask of anyone, Lord, may I be fully owning things myself. And I do pray for Genesis. Lord, I pray we would grow. I, I pray that more people would come, not just to increase our numbers. Uh, Lord, I, I believe that this message of who you are and the love you have and the grace you extend and the need for forgiveness is something that we all need. And I know there are a lot of people hurting and I pray, Lord, that this, what we have, would be medicine to them. 
And so, Lord, help us to take this medicine to more and more people. And I pray you would bless our community as we share and as we develop, just as a community. Uh, give us wisdom, give me wisdom, and may we continue to have a heart after you. Pray and ask this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.